Lesson 12 for September 10 through to 16, Urban Ministry in the End Time. Sabbath afternoon, September 10. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as humble people. We know that we are not worthy of your love. Our lives do not reveal it. But we know that you love us regardless of who we are. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us so that we may know better how to share your love and your grace and your soon coming with those around us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Let's read that again, Jeremiah 29 verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The three angels' messages call for the gospel to be preached to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, as it says in Revelation 14, verse 6. Thus, wherever people live, the message must be brought to them. And because so many now live in cities, to the cities we must go. In fact, urgency for city work intensified in 2007 when the United Nations statistical experts declared for the first time in recorded history, the majority of the world's population was living in metropolitan areas. Today, urban ministry has become the central issue for Seventh-day Adventist mission strategy. In many nations, Adventist outreach has accomplished more in the small towns and rural areas outside the metropolitan regions than it has in the cities. Surveys have shown that in some major urban complexes, the majority of people have never heard of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and thus know nothing of the three angels' messages. Hence, it's clear, to reach out to the world, we must reach out to the cities. Sunday, September 11. The Nature of Cities Cities bring together many different cultures, ethnic groups, languages and religions. Traditionally, each group had its quarter or defined territory. Increasingly, all kinds of people live next door to one another throughout the metropolitan regions. This multicultural reality creates risk and complexity, but... It also provides great opportunity for the gospel. There is greater tolerance for new ideas, a greater willingness to listen to new religions, than often exists in the more traditional cultural settings outside the cities. The city would provide access to many people who otherwise might never come near the Seventh-day Adventist message. Question. Read Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through to 28, to see one example of how Paul pursued church planting in cities. What points can we learn from what he 
did there. Well, let's begin Acts chapter 18 and at verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent-makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But... If it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Chancheria, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing." and he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and, being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, 
He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. In these urban centres there was a mosaic of many languages, cultures and ethnic groups, just as cities have today. Paul found specific types of people with whom he connected. He found people who shared his connections to the Jewish faith, to Roman citizenship and to the tent-making business in which he was trained. He used these skills to support himself. He lived in the household of a couple who became believers and evangelists themselves. He taught in the synagogue until he was kicked out and then he started a house church in the home of a believer. He trained and mentored enough new believers so that when he moved on, he could appoint people to lead the group. Clearly, Paul understood and was comfortable working in the multicultural, multi-faith context of the city, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 to 23, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. He knew how to adapt to the environment that he was in, and he learned how to present the truth in order to best meet the needs of those he was trying to reach. So to finish today, how can we as individuals, and our local church as a whole, be better equipped to mingle with our communities so that we can reach them? Monday, September 12, A Hurting Place As Christ made his way through Jerusalem, Capernaum and other cities of his time, the sick, disabled and poor crowded around him the healer. His heart went out to suffering humanity. In the city there is more of everything, more people, more buildings, more traffic and more problems. This presents a real challenge for churches. Those sharing the gospel cannot simply ignore the massive human needs around them and concentrate on the message alone, because to do so discredits the message. If our actions do not demonstrate the compassion, grace and hope of which we speak, then what we speak will be powerless. It will be heard as just another one of the many voices competing for ears of the masses. Question. Read Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, Exodus 6, verse 5, Psalm 12, verse 5, Romans chapter 8, verse 22, and Job chapter 24 and verse 12. What's the message found in these texts for us? Well, first of all, we go to Exodus and chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. 
Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. And Exodus chapter 6 verse 5, And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. And Psalm 12 verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. And Romans chapter 8 verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. And Job 24 verse 12, The dying groan in the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God does not charge them with wrong. Our world is a hurting place. It groans under the weight and sufferings of sin. None of us, no matter who we are, escape that reality. This pain also offers us powerful opportunities for witness. But we also need to be careful here. When it comes to how a church is perceived by non-members in terms of its neighbourliness, it is important to understand the difference between community events and an ongoing service that actually meets needs. There is a difference in the minds of the community between a church that delivers food to families once a year during a holiday and one like a particular Adventist church plant in a large city. What does this church do? It meets in a community centre that operates on a daily basis. People can go there any morning and get a hot breakfast. And it's not even that large of a church. It has only about 75 members. But they are fully committed to meeting the needs of their neighbours in an urban neighbourhood. This is a great work, but one that takes dedication and a sense of obligation to help those in need. Imagine the impact on our communities if all our churches were doing something to help to respond to the groans that are surely rising up in our neighbourhoods. Tuesday, September 13, Sowing and Reaping in Cities Question. Read Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 to 9, and the same chapter, verses 18 to 23. Though this is a familiar story, how can we take what it teaches in order to help us better understand how to minister and to witness to our communities, including the cities? Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then 
beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 13. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understand it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Though set in a rural context, this parable is, in fact, more important in urban ministry than in small towns and rural areas, because urban areas have a greater variety of soils. This explains why it is more challenging to conduct evangelistic campaigns in cities than in more rural areas. Different soil conditions produce different kinds of results, suggesting the seed or the need to study the soil conditions before investing in evangelism activities. If, after studying the community soil, your church discovers that it has limited good ground in its territory, you must plan to improve that soil by softening the hard pathways, removing the rocks and pulling up the thorns. That is, for evangelism to be successful, the church must work ahead of time preparing the soil. This can make a great deal of difference in how effective an evangelistic campaign can be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, the scriptures teach about spiritual gifts. They say that there are a multiplicity of different gifts, but only one mission. The types of soil mentioned in the parable show the need for many different gifts to be included in reaching the cities. In the large cities, men of varied gifts are to be brought in, Ellen White has written. In Evangelism, page 70, she continues, New methods must be introduced. God's people must awake to the necessities of the time in which they are living. End of quote. Through the gift of divine insight, she saw what is necessary to be effective in urban ministry. It is even more necessary today to have a wide variety of approaches and gifts working within a large, multifaceted strategy. A single campaign or one major project will not achieve much in the long term. The massive scale and complex structure of the city simply swallows such programs, and within a few weeks there is no trace of an impact. More needs to be done beforehand. So to finish today, think about those you are trying to witness to. In what kind of ground are they? What can you do to help prepare the soil better? Wednesday, September 14, Make It Personal. 
question. Read John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, James one twenty-seven, and Galatians 6, verse 2. Together, what are they saying to us that is so crucial for any serious outreach? Well, let's begin at John chapter 15 and verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And James one twenty-seven, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. Because of the massive size of urban populations, it is easy to lose sight of the fact that faith is personal. The bottom line in reaching the cities or any other place is individuals finding a personal relationship with Christ. Research has shown that the vast majority of converts to the Seventh-day Adventist Church say that they joined because of a relationship with an Adventist acquaintance. And oftentimes, friendships, especially in the case of outreach, involve death to self and a willingness to work for the good of others. Ploughing the ground, planting seeds, nurturing the sprouts to harvest, and preserving the harvest, all of these things work best if there is a strong relational element. We need to learn how to be friends with people. We need to learn how to listen to them. We need to learn how to love them. If these are essential elements for any outreach, how much more so in urban ministry in which individuals can at times feel lost and uncared for amid the vast and teeming population? The vital element of urban small group ministries might take the form of a house church as it existed in the New Testament, or it may simply be small groups within a larger congregation. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we read about a house church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Wherever there is an urban neighbourhood or suburban town that does not have a local church, but where there are three or more Seventh-day Adventists, some kind of small group should be organised and begin to function in that community. And if you want to read more about that, Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, pages 21 and 22. Probably a good thing to look up later. This approach is essential to urban ministry for several reasons. One is the complex mosaic of cultural, ethnic language and socio-economic groups to be reached within the hundreds of communities and subcultures in even medium-sized cities. Unless there are small groups targeting each of these segments, Christ's mission will not be completed. Small group ministries also are needed because of how difficult it is for believers to follow Jesus in the city. There are many pressures, temptations and encounters with alternative faiths and ideologies. Some believers simply give in to the pressures and drop out of church, while others develop a hard shell to protect their feelings and become insensitive to the people around them who need a loving representation of Jesus.
Thursday, September 15, Reaching Out to the Cities No one is saying that outreach and ministry are easy. The fact is, they are not. Humans are fallen, corrupt, and not naturally spiritual. As Paul said about himself in Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. If Paul says that, what about those who don't know the Lord or who have never had a life-changing experience with Jesus? And if our natural fallen natures weren't bad enough, cities have always been known for their notoriously bad influence on people. People face so many temptations that the enemy of souls uses to ensnare them and keep them bonded to sin and the world. Thus, no wonder that outreach to cities especially is not a simple task. It is, though, a task that must be done, and we as a church, to be faithful to our calling, must be doing it. Question. What do these verses say to us about the importance of outreach in general? First of all, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. According to the word, Christ's death was universal. It encompassed all humanity, from Adam and Eve down and all who follow. This would, of course, include the endless masses living in the great metropolitan centres of the world. They, too, need to hear the great truths that are so dear and precious to us. From Medical Ministry, page 304, I read, There is no change in the messages that God has sent in the past. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting in operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. End of quote. The call to reach the cities is personal. It is a call to a deeper experience with Christ ourselves and a call to earnest intercession as well as comprehensive planning and implementation. It is built completely on the foundation of revival and reformation, for it is going to be accomplished only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to finish today, Read Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What is being said there? that, in principle, applies to all of us who claim to be followers of Christ? How can we all be more active in outreach and ministry, regardless of where we live? Friday, September 16. A Seventh-day Adventist expert in urban ministries did a study 
in the Ellen G. White Periodical Index regarding her counsel on moving in or out of the cities. Out of 107 articles, 24 articles gave instruction on moving out or establishing institutions outside cities, but 75 articles gave specific instruction to move into the cities to reach the cities. The other eight articles were neutral. A church historian summarised Ellen White's counsel on city work, showing that, relating to institutions, she advocated working from outpost centres outside the city, and when dealing with the local church work, she advocated working from within the city. What are the plans in your church to reach the cities? Where is your local church located in relationship to the nearest major metropolitan area? No church should think that reaching the cities is irrelevant to them. Every Adventist congregation needs to make some contribution toward this most important missionary goal. Ignoring the cities and focusing only on reaching the areas outside the metropolitan regions is not a faithful response to the mission that Jesus has given us. From the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald of September 29, 1891, we read... Why should not families who know the present truth settle in these cities? There will be laymen who will move into cities, that they may let the light which God has given them shine forth to others. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. 1. Think about the wonderful message that we have been given. Think about the hope that we have, the promise of a better life now, and the great hope of eternity. What are some of your favourite texts, texts that especially reveal the hope that we have in Jesus? Why are they so meaningful to you? Share them together in class on Sabbath. And question two. Try to imagine what it must be like not to have any hope. Just thinking that your life is it, with all its struggles and toils and hurt, and then you die and just rot in the grave. This is what many, especially the vast masses in the cities, believe. How then can we learn to have a great love for souls and a willingness to reach out to them wherever they live? Inside Story our mission story this week is titled A Changed Heart, Part 2, and it's by Agnes Mukarawigo and Alita Bird, writing from Rwanda. At church, the people greeted me and made me feel that I was part of their loving family. It seemed as though the sermon was preached just to comfort me. I returned the next Sabbath and attended the midweek service too, but a few weeks later my husband woke up early and stopped me from going to church. You have been wandering around on Saturday wasting your time, he told me. Today I will be home at noon to eat lunch. Go to the market to buy food. Have it ready as soon as I get back, he demanded. Reluctantly, I stayed home and cooked lunch for my husband. But he did not come home to eat. The next Sabbath the same thing happened. The third week, when my husband ordered me to have lunch ready for him at noon, I thought, the devil is trying to keep me away from church. I will not let him. I decided to go to church first, then cook when I returned. After church, I went to the market to buy the fish my husband wanted for lunch. That is when my husband's friend saw me dressed in my best clothes. 
I bought the fish and hurried home to cook them just the way my husband liked them. But again he did not come home. I waited for him all day, but he did not return until late that night. He knocked on the door and I opened it. He stumbled in, drunk, and began hitting me. I tried to get away from his blows, but he followed me into the bedroom and dragged me back to the front door. Then he left me there, closed the door of the bedroom and went to bed, leaving me alone in the sitting room. In the morning, when I awoke, I took him some water to wash with, for I did not want him to be angry. "'Why did you hit me last night when I let you in?' I asked him. "'Because you do not respect me,' he shouted. "'I told you to go to the market in the morning and buy the fish. "'But my friend told me that you were at the market late and had been to church. "'You are not an obedient wife, and this will not continue any longer,' he yelled. "'And you wouldn't guess it. "'But this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story.' There must be a happy ending somewhere ahead. Have a great Sabbath. This week's lesson has been read by Dr Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.